Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. In order to prepare well for the arrival of a guest, and you just think about the times in your life where you've been a part of a committee or you've been a host and, and you've been in charge of welcoming someone. Maybe they're coming from another country, they're coming from another state, they're just somebody, maybe they're a dignitary, something like that. Maybe it's just your grandmother and you, you, know, you need a little help getting things arranged. It helps to have a person who can give you the details and tell you kind of what you need to do to get somebody ready. I always love when we have a guest preacher or somebody from another part of the world and, and they, you know, always try to check with them, you know, are you a person, you like having water up there? Do you like some, some tea that those singers like when they're singing? You know, all that stuff, what do you like? And they, you know, they'll tell you kind of what they like. Uh, I remember when I was, uh, after I graduated from high school and went and participated in a thing called Boys State, uh, which I'm sure is not as organized in New Mexico as it is in Texas, but uh, and I, I think it's basically just to try to keep government from being like Lord of the Flies as best as they can, um, and, and I don't know how well that's working, but anyways, um, I remember Governor Johnson was going to make an appearance, you know, later in the week, and so we had our little uh, make-believe government that we were building and our own little governor and all the things we're doing and our little chaos that we were living in as uh, recent high school graduates. And I remember they kind of prepped us, you know, they're like, okay, now when Governor Johnson comes, you know, here's going to be the deal and here's where he's going to be. And if you want to shake his hand, you have to go over here. And you kind of have these people that go before the governor and say, this is what we expect when he shows up. Even, and so then you have things like that, and then you also just have, like I say, when you have friends come over, we had some dear friends stay with us over the weekend, and they have kids kind of the same age as our kids, and, and uh, the house family used to live here in Sweetwater and, and pastor the Episcopal Church uh, or across the street, and, and it was fun to have them here, and, and you know, you could see the excitement in the room, and our youngest child wrote on our whiteboard, you know, welcome house family, and, and everybody's excited, and they leave for school, they know when they get back uh, that there's going to be guests here, so we figure out how can we host, what is it going to look like, and who do we call to make sure we have what we need uh, to host someone who's coming. And so for us, as we await the arrival of Jesus, that's what Advent means. It's, it's from the Latin word Adventus, which just means arrival. And so as we await the arrival of Jesus, uh, not, you know, as we celebrate in the birth of Christ, but in our lives today, this very moment, we await the presence of Jesus. And then we await the arrival of Jesus. We talked about last week, one day when he will return to judge the living and the dead. And so we anticipate those comings. We celebrate that Christ has already come and is present with us today. But as we await Jesus' arrival, the person that is most helpful for us as we get ready is this character that we read about in all four Gospels, John the Baptist. And he has just a great way of echoing what the prophets have already said. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's his whole role and his whole vocation. And so he's busy at work in the early pages of all the Gospel stories getting us ready for the coming of Jesus. That's, that's what he's up to. So it's a lot of fun to hear what he has to say. Now in Luke chapter 1, in Luke's version of the story, the very first person that we meet, the people that we meet first in Luke's telling of the story, we meet a guy named Zechariah and we meet his wife Elizabeth. And they are priests. Uh, Elizabeth uh, descends from the line of Aaron. And so Zechariah is there and they're this prominent priestly family. They, um, they're very righteous before God. We read about that and they're just good, solid people. Uh, but there's been a challenge and Elizabeth is unable to have children. And so there comes a time in the story where um, 
you know, the angel announces to Zechariah that, you know, Elizabeth's going to conceive and give birth to a child. And, and we know from reading the story, this is going to be John the Baptist. And, and Zechariah, so he kind of, you know, says, no, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. And so his, his, you know, ability to speak before he considered and believed cost him his voice and it cost him his hearing for a little while. And so during Elizabeth's pregnancy, he's unable to talk. So here he is doing his priestly duties and doing things, and he can't speak and he can't hear. So uh, that's where we kind of pick up Zechariah in the story. And it's this great moment where they take, after John is born, their son John, and they take him to the temple and and they take him, you know, in the area and they're going to have him circumcised on the eighth day according to custom. And everybody goes, well, okay, well, what are you going to name him? You know, and Elizabeth says, well, his name's going to be John. And they look at him. They look at Elizabeth and they say, yeah, but your husband, remember, his name's Zacharias, not John. We know John's not a name that we use around here. Why, why would you not name him after his father? And Elizabeth says, just trust me, his name's John. And, and so anyways, they kind of look at Zechariah for verification. And Zechariah, unable to speak, asked for a board. You know, they signed to him, hey, this is what she's saying, that we're supposed to name the baby. And he says, uh, he writes down or gives a sign and says, yeah, she's right. Listen to her. Uh, his name's going to be John. So it's this great moment where um, he, and so he's unable to talk, and, and he, he says, yes, through signs, this is, the, his, son, his name is to be John. And, and then we have this beautiful moment where he, his mouth then is open, his ears are open, and he can speak. And so the first thing he does is he, he sings out this praise, which is a combination of psalms and recalling the works of David and, and uh, Abraham. And it's this beautiful song that we call the Benedictus. Still today, many traditions begin their morning prayer with, with parts of the Benedictus. And it starts out with blessed be. And so that's why I call it Benedictus uh, from the Latin there. And so it's, it's just this beautiful song that, that was read for us earlier as we learn about uh, this, this coming of Jesus and the anticipation of what John's role is going to be in the coming of Jesus. So, um, and I noticed I was reading this this week and just kind of looking through this song, and I, I've appreciated this song, but it's more like something like the Lord's Prayer would have been when I was a kid where I've said it and heard it a few times, but I don't really take much of it to heart. And so as you get older, you know, you find pieces of it and you go, wow, this idea of praying for daily bread is a, really, is a really special thing that we have. And the same thing this week as I've been reading Zechariah's song, this Benedictus, is this, he's, he's, he's reaching out for things that have already been said before, but it, you can tell he's, he's trusting them and anticipating them in a special new way. And you can imagine, if you've been silenced and unable to do your work in that way for a while, he's, he's full of all the praise he's been storing up and, and hearing the Psalms and these kinds of things. So he's echoing all that has been heard. He said, blessed be the God of Israel. Um, This is a common psalm ending. He's visited and redeemed his people, and he's raised up a horn of salvation. And he kind of brings David into the mix. And David is the poster child for getting saved, right? When when you're in trouble and you need help and you need a way out, David is your guy. Uh, Many of David's psalms, you know, I'm, I'm sinking in the mire Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. You know, I'm in trouble. Help me out. Psalm 18 is a great example of that. And David, so he points to this idea that we have this, in, in, as David anticipated, in the line of David, the horn of salvation. And, uh, you know, I always thought this passage was about like a horn. Like, you know, hear people blow horns and, and they use those in worship and that kind of thing. But this is more like the horn uh, when, when you see, you know, the, like an antlers on an animal or horns on an animal. There's a symbol of strength. 
And so uh, you ladies, I mean, you guys don't hear this as like an excuse to go mount another thing in your living room and say, no, Ryan said it's a symbol of strength. We really need this in our living room. But um, anyways, your antlers, your horns. But I think of a saddle horn because I grew up uh, in that environment. And, you know, the saddle horn is like the central point of the burden that you ask a saddle horse to carry. And it's positioned where it distributes the weight of what the horse is having to do across his body and in a strong part of his body. So, uh, you know, when you have something attached to the saddle horn, that's, that's, that's a symbol of power and of strength. And, and if you're in trouble and you're about to fall off, you can also grab it. And it's powerful, therefore, uh, because you stay uh, where you're supposed to stay. So it's a symbol of strength. And it's this idea that uh, God has raised up for us. A, a powerful salvation that comes to us in uh, the life of Jesus Christ. So I noticed in reading that this passage, that Zechariah's song is really governed by mercy. There's mercy appears prominently at the beginning of the song and appears prominently in the end of the song. And I always associate, as you do, John the Baptist and what he's saying with repentance. You know, turn your life around. You're doing this, you need to stop that, and you need to start doing this. And, and so we, we just think repentance, repentance, repentance. And most of the time we think, you know, repentance is all about stopping. But really, the, the toughest part of repentance is about starting. You know, it's about turning from one thing, but it's about moving in the direction of something else. So to stop something and not replace it or move it to something else uh, does not get us where we want to be. And so I think this idea of repentance is grounded in the mercy of God. And this idea that we're motivated as people, we're motivated by mercy. You know, none of us change our lives and redirect our lives and move in the direction of Christ because we just wake up one day and think, you know, I'm pretty smart and I think it'd be time for me to change my life now. Uh, we typically are responding to mercy. We've, we've considered what it would be like if we didn't have the mercy of God and we say, please sign me up, Lord, and forgive me and get me a fresh start too because I need it. Not just, you know, 20 years ago, but I need it today and I need it tomorrow. And so, this dependence on mercy that we're motivated by God's mercy, it just comes throughout so strongly in this song. And this, this phrase that we'd be saved from our enemies, the hand of all who hate us, and that, that God would perform the mercy that was promised to our fathers. God performing mercy in our lives. It was promised to Abraham. It was promised to our fathers. And, and we're here now uh, soaking that up. He brings in Abraham, this, this promise that was sworn, and, and it reminds us that in the Abraham story, which we talked about in this last fall, that one of the great things that we see in the life of Abraham is that when we forget God's promises, God doesn't forget us. You know, God remembers what we forget, and that shows up in this song, that God is remembering what Zechariah has forgotten, and God is remembering what the people who have been in darkness for so long, they've been oppressed by the Roman Empire for so long, they've forgotten what it's like to not be an oppressed people. And Zechariah wakes them up and says, no, this is the time. You know, this is the time where God's mercy is going to change things. God has remembered all that we have forgotten. But the great news, as good news as that is, uh, the great news of this song is not just that we are motivated by mercy, but that God ultimately is motivated by mercy. If we ever wonder what makes God do what God does, uh, God's compassion is a driving energy for everything that he does. Compassion and mercy are a driving force for creation and for rescuing us when we've fallen off the deep end. And so we see that in, in God's motivation of sending his son, that this mercy, this tender mercy that would dawn, uh, that this would be what motivates God to, to intervene in our lives. 
If you look at the last four verses of the song, uh, verse 76 to 79, there, there's a, a scholar named Mencken who figured out, he looked at the Greek, and he realized there were 53 words in this paragraph talking about John and John's birth. 53 words. And there are 26 words leading up to a special word, and there are 26 words after a special word. So the 53rd word, which is right in the middle, is this word that gets translated tender mercy or compassion. It's, it has the, the sense of the inner workings of a person, the bowels of a person, the deep compassion. And so God, imagine God, because of the tender mercy of our God, that's highlighted and featured. This is where the light comes from. This is why we have hope. This is why we know we can trust what's coming around the corner because God is merciful. And don't you think Zechariah was was really keying in on this? Don't you think he, at maybe more than any other time in his life, was aware that God was a merciful God? When his lips are finally open to sing and his ears are finally open to hear, and he just, he just unrolls everything that's been stored up. And uh, so you wouldn't be surprised to know then that the name John actually means Yahweh is merciful. God is merciful. That's where the name John comes from. And... Uh, So, I'm grateful today that for a name like John, that is an indicator of a fresh start in the mercy of God, and I'm trusting and hoping today as we celebrate when we we are baptized, we receive a new name. You know, there's a name uh, that is given to us by God uh, that has never before been spoken. It's a name that God knows, and we receive this new name, and the Christian tradition really captures that, and we take on this new name, and I think in some way we can all imagine that when we were named at baptism, it sounded something like God is merciful, Yahweh is merciful, and so I hope today for our baptismal candidate that she will always remember her baptism as the fountain of God's mercy throughout her life, the fountain of God's tender mercy, and I pray for us that we would remember our baptism as a fountain of mercy, and it would give us grace to, as the prayer says, to forsake our sins, that we might greet the coming of Jesus in a fresh and new way this year, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.